have to cry. Gosh, I can't even think of anybody personally in our family that we lost in the military. But I know he has. Because Dad served in the Navy. And I know other people have. And you've lost people that you love. You know people who's given their life. I like his quote that he said that we shouldn't just mourn that they died. But we should thank God that such men and women lived. And so i got to turn this over to my dad. I'm going to ask him to just pray. Pray for the people that have lost somebody. Um, but also, thank God, Lord, for the opportunity. We stand in a great army. Yeah. And even um, the martyrs that have went before us for the faith is no different than the men and women that served for our freedom. So um, yeah. I'm going to ask Dad to just pray. Thank you. Thank you. Um, thank you, God, that um, you give us as men and women this uh, God-fearing land, God, and um, the men and women that stood up and, and took the challenge. I remember signing a 9 by 11 paper that says that I would lay down my life for them. Yeah. Um, my fellows, men and women. And God, we just thank you that you've uh, shattered over us, uh, shattered over our country. Um, you, we, we are a powerful nation with you as God. Um, no other reason that we've been so blessed. And thank you, God, for all these men and women. And I, and I watch them come and go. Um, some of us was able to serve and come home. Some weren't able to. Um, God, just continue that legacy in us that we uh, honor and respect each other. And God, our eyes are always on you. It's all about you. In Jesus' name, amen. Yes, mm. amen. Thank you, Daddy. I know. You did well. Um, before we jump into, this is going to be the final message, hopefully, Lord willing. Creeks don't rise, as my grandma used to say. Um, the final message in the series, uh, the standard. Before we jump into that, though, uh, just a reminder, I know it's in your paper bulletins, which, again, you will, you'll receive one more time next month, only the first Sunday of every month. Um, but we've wanted to, and we've been passionately praying the last year over how to get more people engaged in the prayer on Wednesday night, the all-church type prayer meeting that we had on a weekly basis. Um, and we had such a good turnout in January when we did that week of prayer and then we came together, um, or week of fasting, and then we came together and prayed as a body. And it was just one hour, but man, was it powerful when you get a room filled of people and focused. But we put slides up and we stayed focused and on point, and it just seemed like, you know, there was miss missiles being launched out of here that night. Um, so what we wanted to do was we wanted to schedule, instead of just doing it the first of every year, we're going to schedule those quarterly. We're going to pull back on the weekly prayer meeting 
so that we can encourage all to participate in that quarterly prayer meeting, which we will hold on a Wednesday, right? It's there for Wednesday? Okay, now I'm pulling out of my memory, which is already gone. Um, I think it's the first Wednesday um, on a quarterly, which the first one's coming up June Okay, whatever, 6. Thank you, Pastor Denny. Um, June 6, 6.30 to 7.30, just one hour. All right, so please, but if you want to come in and you want to soak during the week, um, the healing rooms still happen on Wednesday nights um, from 6 to 6.30. The, the sanctuary is open, um, but if you remember healing rooms, you can always call to make an appointment or you can just show up between that half an hour. But always the sanctuary is open on Wednesday nights for prayer. Sorry, I feel like a big announcement right there. Um, but I really want to encourage you. And you're going to feel hard pressure. I mean, the Bible encourages us to spur one another on, to spur you into getting in here quarterly. I think we can do that and, and pray. And like this first one, we're going to bombard um, not only heaven. Remember, we're not telling heaven what to do. And we'll talk about that in the message. But bombard earth with our prayers for the upcoming summer outreaches, events, missions, trips, and such. All right, enough announcements. Today is week five, or hopefully the last week in the series, The Standard. So turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. And then put a finger or a piece of paper over there at Isaiah 7. So Colossians 2. And Ephesians, sorry, not Ephesians, Isaiah chapter 7. I feel like I haven't preached in a long time. It's been a couple weeks. Thank you, though, um, staff and, and everyone else involved for allowing me to just pick up and take off. It was my um, grandson last Monday, was it? Was it Monday? I was at district council the week before, so I was gone for that week. And then I came back. Sunday and it was Mother's Day and Amy did a fabulous job um, bringing a Mother's Day message and then Monday I got the phone call from my son Isaiah that um, his son Owen Rampage Victor Maurer playing on one of those little plastic slides must have slipped going up the plastic slide got his leg cut in the steps twisted and fell and it broke his femur from his knee all the way up. There was a, a, it broke straight up. It was called a spiral break. And so they rushed him to emergency room and they started talking surgery and all that. And um, They started sending me pictures. You got to pray, of course. We put it at prayer request and everything. And because they were loading him up in an ambulance and taking him to a bigger hospital because they're like, this is going to take surgery. They're probably going to have to, you know, do all this. And we're thinking it affected his growth plate. So if we don't get it fixed, he might always have that short of a leg. You know, it was just they started, of course, saying all these huge things. And um, so we started praying. And then Isaiah just called me. He goes, Mom, this is too hard. I need you. So I called the team. I'm like, I'm out. You know. Your boy calls. There is nothing worse. I, I mean, I thought I heard enough for my own kids. 
But then when you're hurting for your kid who's hurting for their kids, it's like, I mean, all the grandmas and grandpas in the room go, yeah, that's it. Uh, and then a total helpless feeling, you know? I mean, we prayed, we prayed, we commanded, we, you know, put our hands over, and all of a sudden they started, you know, saying, oh, okay, no surgery, and we were rejoicing, and we're just going to cast it up. But then when they casted him, starting at the waist, all the way down, both legs, you know, the one all the way to his toe, and the other one down to his knee with this big bar. I mean, it was like, and of course, when he at two and a half, he'll be three next month, started crying, just, I'm all done, you know, I'm all done. And then he started, you know, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, like he was being punished for something. My heart just started breaking, not only for my grandson, but for us. I mean, I just, I love the picture that God's given us of everyday circumstances of our relationship with him. And boy, we feel squeezed or we feel confined or we feel poked or we feel compressed, you know, or, or like I'm trying to tell you, hey, would you go get the plumb bob I put on my shelf in my office? Or we feel pulled this way or pulled this way. And all of a sudden, we just start crying out to Papa God, I'm so sorry, forgive me. And he's like, it's nothing you did. It's nothing you've done. It's okay, trust me, because we had to keep telling Owen, it's okay, it's all right, we're right here with you, it's all right. Um, gosh, and now I almost feel like I need to promo. I, I think the next message we're going to move into is going to deal with that heart where, you know, um, that issue that we think that just because we're going through a bad time, we've done something bad and we're being punished. Um, tell me that's true with Daniel in the lion's den. Tell me that's true with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace. That Did they bring that on themselves? You know, did they do something wrong? <sighs> Sorry, I'm really trying to stick to my notes. But God's just been wrecking me lately with misunderstandings in the body, in us, in, the, in Christians. Misunderstandings of why we go through things and what happens to us. And um, gosh, we, we just need to get back to the basics and simply, you know, understand God's got a father-mother heart. He's love and he's always good. He is love and he is always good. Sorry, that had nothing to do with my message. I don't know. Somebody needed to hear that. Uh, this message, the standard, like I said, is talking about, um, and I'll get to this plumb bob in just a second. In understanding, you know, that God is love and he is always good, um, we have a real enemy. And he masquerades as an angel of light trying to pull our emotions this way or push our thinking that way. Whatever can get us out of alignment with God. And that's the, where this series came from. So how do we know when we're right, right where we're supposed to be, when we're, when we're you know, because we'll always feel a tug this way or a push this way in the enemy. Boy, he likes to do that. He's done that from the very beginning. Remember, it's straight from the beginning of time. He wanted to be God. 
You know, it wasn't enough for where God had placed him. It wasn't enough for him to be just close to God. It wasn't enough for him to just worship God. He wanted the worship. He'll always try to push or pull your thinking or your emotions one way or that way to keep you off kilter with God. And you're and I'm not talking about a perfection, you know, a holiness and that you walk around like little monks and, you know, you know, you have to be holy or else. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about if you really want to get um, detailed, I've used the illustration before. We're not supposed to compare ourselves with each other. We're supposed to compare ourselves with Jesus. He is the standard, like the, the sign at the amusement park that says, you know, you have to be this tall to ride this ride. You know, Jesus is that standard. And he didn't just point and say, go that way, you know, right here. This is what you're supposed to do. He put out both arms and said, here's where it's at. Take up your cross, die to self, take up your cross and follow me. And we'll talk about that in this next message, too, that um, if, if I get through this one today, it will start next Sunday called Selfish Salvation. Um, we've turned our, our, our salvation into something selfish. Um, but I won't get preaching that, hopefully not today. But I'm not teaching perfection. I'm simply trying to not give you permission or an excuse to be less than the standard, which is Jesus. Because Satan will throw out every excuse he can. He'll give you excuses. He'll give you permissions to be anything less than what God has asked you to be. And that's in the image of his son. Uh, so the main scripture we've used throughout this series is Colossians chapter 2. So I just want to read that to you. Colossians chapter 2, starting at verse 6. says, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. The common English Bible says, verse 8, see to it. That nobody enslaves you with philosophy and foolish deception, which conform to human traditions and the way the world thinks and the way the world acts rather than on Christ. You see that double-mindedness? When you try to think like the world thinks, live like the world lives, you will become enslaved taken captive. You see that? So let me just give you, I mean, really quick, if you allow me to, I'm just going to read through this real quick to refresh you since it's been a couple weeks since we were into this series. The first week we discussed setting the standard and I showed you that when God started downloading this message to me, it gave me a picture of a plumb bob, which he said is, so the first week we talked about setting the standard, which is very simple. This has to be secured to what is real, which is God. This, the Bob it's called, has to be the whole world 
word of God. You have to take up the whole word of God. Not just the New Testament, not ripping out sections that, well, that, that don't apply to a day. That don't. It's the whole word of God. Old Testament and New Testament, not a word. If you read in Revelations, he says, don't remove one word. Don't add one word. Don't remove one word. Right? Taking up the whole word of God. And it's Jesus said the greatest commandments, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love others as yourself. Because love, love, everything, the whole word can be fulfilled because it hangs on love. You understand that? If we can just grasp that, and that's what we're going to get into um, in this next message when we talk about selfish salvation, is love. And I'm going to I'm gonna break that down for you, what that truly means. Because Twitter-pated is not love. Uh, liking someone is not love. Uh, just being nice to those who are nice to you is not love. But again, that's for another day, not today. Uh, so the first week we talked about setting the standard. The next week we talked about unmasking the enemy. And I actually had to break that up into a couple weeks. Um, because there was, God gave me uh, like the top five masks that Satan uses in trying to pull us or push us off alignment. And the, all the masks came out to start with an S, which God is just so creative. I had nothing to do with that. Um, which was self-sight. Silent sitting in scripture, the top five. Uh, the mask of self is my needs, you know, my needs, me, 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 I, I, I. Me, 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 I, I, I. When something happens, well, what about me? Well, I, I, me, me, me. The mask of sight gets you uh, to either blame somebody else for why you're not changing Give an excuse for why, you know, well, if so-and-so, well, look at Pat, you know, if Pat can do it, I can do it, you know. And mask of sight will also keep your eyes going a thousand different places instead of on your real enemy. That's what he'd like to do. Oh, there's your enemy. Oh, hey, hey, you know, that person. And you know what so-and-so did. And get you looking at everybody else except the real enemy. The mask of silence, God gave us the power of life and death in our tongue. So if Satan can keep you quiet, he can keep you from speaking life. He don't mind if you speak doubt. He don't mind if you speak death. But he does not want you speaking life. So the minute you start to believe, you can almost feel it welling up in you. And you're oh, you got this faith and you're about ready to say something. You hear, shh. Yeah. Oh, I know what you did last night. I know what you was thinking the other day. You just fought with your husband coming into the parking lot, and now you're going to prophesy? Shh. Mask of silence. The mask of sitting. And again, we'll get into this to the in the next one. Um, when you, the mask of sitting not only sits when um, you don't, you're refusing to move until God gives you all the answers. But the mask of sitting will also think, well, somebody else will do that. You come in the church, somebody else will make the bulletins. You come in the church a little bit farther, somebody else will make the coffee. You come in the church a little bit farther, somebody else will stand at the info booth or the connect counter, whatever we're calling it now. I don't care. Uh, 
You drop your kids off in the children's minute. Well, somebody else will run the children's minute. You know, you just come in here and sit down. Well, somebody else will put the air conditioners in. Thank you, Jason. Amen to that. <laughs> Hallelujah. Blessings upon the air conditioned man. Anyway, somebody else will, somebody else will, somebody else will. That's the mask of sitting. And then we took a couple weeks in the final mask, which is the mask of scripture. And, I mean, I hammered this one down. Yes, he will use the scripture. Because he used the word against the word. Jesus is the word who became flesh, dwelled among us. When he was tempted, what did Satan use? The word. He used the word on the word. And you don't think he's going to use it for you? You don't think he knows what it says? Come on. He just wants to twist it a little bit. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah, of course. Well, I can have this sickness because look at so-and-so. That's right. God probably orchestrated that sickness on you. You, you, know, that, you know, he can prove a lot. We can make this say a lot of things. I told you like those. I don't know what they're called. Pastor Denny, boy, you probably know. But when you put those videos together... And they're little clips of all these different people or even like the pre I've seen him use just the president and all these little clips of his different speeches to make him sing a song. You know, that wasn't anything that he was saying. Same thing can happen to the word of God. Satan will just pick and choose. Oh, let's just tell him this. Oh, let's just say this. Let's just believe that. The mask of scripture. Satan is okay with you knowing the word. You can know this front to back. You can have it memorized. He does. But unless you start living it, it remains powerless. Where this becomes power is when it's applied in this and connected to him. Then it's living power. We also talked about the yeah, but translation. The yeah, but translation, have you ever tried to share God's truth with a believer? To give them faith through a situation only to have them say, yeah, but. What are they doing? They're rewriting the word of God to fit into their circumstances. They're re let, me, uh, let me say that. They're rewriting the word of God. Creating their own translation to fit into their circumstances, to justify their circumstances, and you don't think they're making God in their own image? I read that somewhere, that that's not good. I even think it was in a top ten somewhere. When you reason the word of God to justify your circumstances, instead of allowing the word of God to change your circumstances, you've exalted yourself above God. That's also that double-minded man. We just read that in Colossians 2. It will take you captive. It will enslave you into thinking like the world, acting like the world, living like the world, and trying to be a Christian. It nullifies the word of God. It says it makes it unfruitful. 
That's the only thing that can make this word unfruitful is double-minded men. When you think like the world and try to live like a Christian, double-mindedness nullifies, renders it unfruitful in your life. Bill Johnson said, I cannot allow what I do not understand to affect what's already been established in me. What I already know makes what I don't understand meaningless. And you know where that comes into play? When you're standing over your grandson praying for his healing, that he'd just stand up and be totally healed, and he doesn't. I have a choice right there. Do I then start creating some kind of uh, understanding that, well, maybe God wanted him to be broken? You know, when I try to rewrite the word of God to fit into my circumstance there. Just because you don't know something doesn't mean it gives you permission to rewrite the word of God. I refuse to let what I cannot understand change what I already know. God heals all. Period. Sickness and death have no place in the kingdom of heaven. On earth as it is in heaven means when you lay hands on somebody, when you're praying and when you're believing for somebody and nothing happens, it doesn't change truth. I can't let it change me. I can't let it affect me. I can't let my mind then go, well, see, God don't care about you. See, God isn't here. Where's God when you're crying out to him? All right, and again, I'm still just giving you a refresher. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But there's almost one sure way of, of um, unmasking Satan's deception and all these masks that he wears. One sure way to, to, to point out that's a mask, that's a lie. Is what he's, ask yourself, is what he's proposing, is what you're starting to believe, is what you're starting to think going to lower your standard of belief in God? Is what he's proposing going to lower your standard of Christian living in God? Is what he's proposing or your mind going to lower your, uh, your faith in God? It's a lie. Did God really say that? It's a sure sign that it's a lie. It's a mask. If it's going to lower your Christian faith, belief in God, or your Christian life, you're, you're living. Oh, you don't have to. Come on. Everybody drinks once in a while. What's wrong with that? Does that sound like a mask? Is it going to lower your standard of Christian living? Oh, everybody. I had somebody say that to me at a baseball game the other day. I was at uh, Tyler's baseball game against TC Christian, right? Christian school. We're sitting way away from everybody else because we get passionate about baseball. Anyway, over by third base. Our team just was whipping them really bad. The other coach, a TC Christian, right? Tyler plays on Benzie, public school. 
T-Secret, the coach, comes from third base heading to his dugout, which is on the other side of the field. He gets to his dugout, starts swearing at his players. Seventh, eighth graders, right? Swearing. And I looked over at Brian and I said, wait a minute. And it was played at TC Christian's baseball field. I said, wait a minute. I thought we just had a Christian field. I, I thought that was a Christian team. And this guy way away from me, he turns around and he goes, well, everybody swears. I said, no, sir, everybody does not. And then he comes over. Well, we're all just human. I said, no, we're all from a fallen nature. That's not part of us. If it's going to lower your stand, well, everybody swears. If it's going to lower your standard, it's a mask. It's a lie. It's the enemy. All right, really seriously, we're going to jump into, and I'm going to try to go as fast as I can, but if I feel like we just need to stop, put a pause in it, then we'll pick it up next week, and we'll have to push back the selfish salvation that I know you guys are just gnawing to get to. Yes! Crucify the flesh! Right? Anyway, everybody loves that. All right, so let's jump in. Here's the last topic in the series, the standard, and let's we really need to focus on faith. Faith. And as Isaiah 7, and allow me for time's sake just to kind of highlight the story and summarize the story that's going on here. Um, there's two kings that have set out to attack Jerusalem in Isaiah 7. And in verse 2, it says that the news hit the royal court of Judah. So the hearts of the king and his people trembled with fear like trees shaking in a storm. Then the Lord spoke through the prophet Isaiah and said, go find the king. And he even pointed out where he's hiding. He's right here. He's by this pool. He's around this corner. He's over here. Go get him. He knew exactly where that king was. He said, tell him, verse 4, stop worrying, exclamation point. Tell him he doesn't need to fear the fierce anger of these two burned out embers. Verse 7, this invasion will never happen. It will never take place. But then in verse 9, God goes on to say this. God says this. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. New Living Translation says it this way. Unless your faith is firm, I, God, God is saying this, I cannot make you stand. You understand that? Unless your faith is firm, God himself can't even make you stand. When you're hiding somewhere worrying and fearful and God says, fuck up. What are you doing? You don't need to hide. Come on, stop worrying. These burned out embers, this thing's not going to touch you. It will not happen. But. If you don't stand firm in your faith, God can't even make you stand. Wow. And yet, we believe that faith 
and that's what I want to try to attack today. It's not something that we conjure up. You know, like we have to work up this faith. <gasps> you know, I need faith. We kind of talked about that a little bit. Same with love. It's not something that you work up. It's not something in your own strength. It's not something in your own power. Faith doesn't come because you <sighs> did a hundred Christian push-ups, you know. Faith doesn't come because you've checked the attendance box every week and you've faithfully attended church for the last 25 years. Faith doesn't come that way. That's not faith. Faith is a relationship. Faith is a relationship. Let me put it this way. Because faith, simply put, is trust. Faith, you tr when you get in your vehicle, especially when you buy a new one, you put the key in, you trust that it's going to start every time you turn that key, right? It's faith. It's faith. You set your butt down in one of those chairs and you trusted, you had faith, it was going to hold you up. Same word, see? Interchangeable. Right? You have more faith than you know. But the only way it remains that Christian faith or becomes that Christian faith is when you place that trust in God that only comes not by reading doesn't come by reading it comes by well it, it come, it's part of it let me just clarify love letter love relationship it's part of it praying it's part of it but those aren't apart from him because faith comes I'm still tripping over that faith comes out of a relationship let me put it this way if um Pastor Neil, you're just standing right there. I'm just going to use you. If we're sitting in a staff meeting and the staff brings up, well, we heard Deborah say blah, blah, blah. You know, uh, she was, we heard her cussing out the waitress at the restaurant at Cracker Barrel, you know, last week. He'd probably laugh at us all and then say, no, she didn't. Well, you weren't there. You don't know she didn't do it. I heard it. What will he say? Absolutely not. She did not. Why? Because his relationship with his wife, he knows her. And he knows she would not do that. He can have faith. He trusts that she would not do that because of his relationship with her. Same thing with God. You have faith. You can trust when the whole world is screaming, oh, God hates you. He is not here. He doesn't love you. Look at your circumstances. You need this. You need that. And you say God loves you. You know your faith is firm when your relationship in him is tight. Let me just say it that way. Because then it doesn't matter. Again, you can beat Daniel in the lion's den looking at the lions and saying, you're not going to touch me. I'm God's. You can be thrown in the big furnace. And you can walk around unshackled saying, told you it wouldn't touch me. Because you know God. It's a relationship, faith. Is a relationship. 
Uh, two things. Faith or fear. Real simple. Fear can't touch faith. <laughs> and we just read, faith can't touch. Can't, can't make you stand. Faith cannot make you stand. God cannot make you stand if you stand in fear. It's like two doors. How can one person walk through two separate doors? You're walking in faith or you're walking in fear. You can't do both at the same time. That's double-mindedness. That's enslavement. That's what will enslave you. It's faith or fear. Mm, I'm going to leave that for some other time. I don't think that's the place. Uh, we've all quoted the scripture, 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear, right? Let's read it in context. Because in context, it tells you how you get that perfect love that casts out all fear. In context, starting at verse 16, it says, And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. I mean, we've been through a few things in the last month or so, where fear's trying to attack good, strong believers in Christ. And you can throw all the scriptures at, at that you want. Quote them all that you want. But what repels, what expels, what pushes out fear? Perfect love. Not answers. Sorry. Not I thinks. It doesn't even say prayer. Perfect love. Perfect love. Let me just tell you, because it, it says, as we live in God and as we live like Jesus here in this world, that's where we have that relationship. That's where that perfect love, because it's not our love, it's not from us, it's his love in and through us. That's perfect love. That way when we walk, do you ever see the difference in your children, how you have one that just kind of thinks that he can or she can get away with anything? You have one of those? And some of your children or a different child thinks that they have to tiptoe around and can't ever ask mom or dad for anything? The one that thinks that they can get away with anything, have anything, you'll do anything for them, is secure in their love. You know, the world likes to say, well, don't spoil those children, and that's a bad thing, and they shouldn't feel that way. No. Well, unhealthy, yes. But really, it, it should show us that that child knows they're fully loved. They're fully convinced that you love them, that they're loved, and they're secure. That's where we should be, in God, living like Jesus, Walking in that perfect love, his perfect love expels fear, faith 
or fear? Hmm. I'm just trying to figure out if we should continue on. Yeah, I think we can. All right. Real simple. Living like Jesus here on this earth, real simple. If you don't see Jesus, if you can't fit that thing in Jesus, on Jesus, or think that he would think that, then that's how we should be. Do you think for any minute that Jesus walked around wringing his hands? Oh, I wonder if we're going to have this. I wonder if we're going to have that. No. Then why would we? If we're supposed to be little Christ, little Christ, that in this world, it says we live like Jesus here in this world. Pretty simple. So wherever we walk, whatever we do, whatever we're thinking, if it's not a thought that you could see Jesus thinking, stop thinking it. If you don't see Jesus saying something that you're saying, don't say it. Praying in faith. So faith and fear, I'm going to share with you about praying in faith. What does that mean? To pray in faith, believing is to be fully convinced it is the will of God. Of God. Believing means being fully convinced. So praying in faith means you have to believe it is completely the will of God for that person to be healed. Fully convinced. That's praying in faith. Fully convinced it is the will of God that that person is to be healed. Faith says, I haven't seen it yet, but I'm going to continue doing what I know is true because it's true. (laughs) I like it. Dan Moeller said, if I've prayed for 14 people with cancer and not one of them were healed, I'm looking for the 15th person to pray for because I know God's word is true. Keep knocking. The door will be open. The door of faith is the evidence. Oh, but I need to see. No, you don't. You do not need to see. Faith is the evidence of things unseen. Faith. For someone in unbelief, no amount of evidence will ever be enough. But for someone in faith, no evidence is needed. You can't change what I know to be true. Well, I don't see it. I don't care. I don't see the wind. That sounds like a song. But I see the effects of the wind. Right? Were you there on the moon when that uh, ship landed and those people got out? No. Do you believe it happened? Yeah, unless you're a conspiracy theorist. And the government just made that up. There's video editing back then, too. For someone in unbelief, no amount of evidence will be enough. But for someone in faith, no evidence is needed because faith is the evidence. Faith is 
You cannot tell Pastor Neil that Deborah would ever cuss and swear out a, a waitress because he knows her. He has faith in her. He trusts her. You cannot change what he did not witness because of what he knows. You should not allow yourself to be shaken, to tremble in fear and to worry over two burned out embers coming against you. If your faith is not firm though, even God himself can't make you stand. Mm. Faith does not bow to reality. Reality must bow to faith. Think about that. Is it in the Bible where it says everything in heaven, on earth, and even under the earth is under the authority of the name of Jesus? Everything, he said. So reality has to bow to the name of Jesus. But I don't see it. I don't care. I need to get a t-shirt that says that. Everything must bow. Just because a doctor said after you had surgery, it's going to take 16 weeks for you to recover, does not mean it's going to take 16 weeks for you to recover. Reality has to bow to faith. And then let me just touch on this real quick. Oh, Lord Jesus. You have to be careful. I, I, I find myself slipping into this once in a while, and I'm like, duh, we know this. Faith prays from heaven, our place. We are seated with Christ at God's right hand. We are co-heirs with Christ. We are seated in heavenly realms. Does the Bible say that? Remember reading that? We pray from heaven to earth. We pray from heaven, from the kingdom, to the problem. We don't pray from the problem. God, don't you see what kind of problem I'm in? Can't you do something? What is that? Where's the power in that? I could just see God sitting on his throne. Hey, I can put power in your tongue. I gave you power. What are you doing yelling at me? I mean, what would you do? Your child comes up to me. I'm hungry. Give me something to eat. Let me see. You're 18. Uh, the kitchen's that way. Right? Because don't we do that for babies? But as they grow up, we're like, feed yourself. We don't pray from problems demanding heaven to move. Even though I've got a lot of songs that sing that in churches. I've got a lot of messages, even I preached way back in the days, that would that would say that that's true. But it's wrong. It's we pray from our authority with him seated in heavenly realms to thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Nowhere do they cry out from the problem demanding God to move. That's not faith. That's not faith. Fear prays from the problem to God, insistently demanding God to do something. Mm. And the last part, love. 
love raises the bar of faith. See, the longer you stay in God, love increases, faith increases. The longer you're together in marriage, your love increases, your faith increases, your trust increases in that person. Like my mom said on the way to get married to Brian. And I said, I don't know if I'm supposed to do this. I don't know if I love him. She goes, don't worry, you'll grow to love him. She was right. She's still growing. Yeah, I'm still growing, he says back there. Listen to him. He hears his name. He comes moving from those back corners. She's talking about me. But your love raises the bar of faith. The more you love, the more you're closer. And I shared this Wednesday night. I, I'm the baby of the family. So I am fully convinced that I'm loved. I don't have a problem asking for things. I don't have a problem thinking that my parents want to do good things to me. I know I'm old. Don't look at me like that. But I still know. And so when I, you know, heavenly realms, we sit at the right hand of God and we sit on the throne with Jesus. I, I put myself, Jesus, on my right hand and God on my left. I wiggle my way right up in there. I'm like, this is where I sit. God corrected me on that. It's like, no, I said, Jesus sits at my right hand. You know why? When I get back right here, beside Jesus, at his right hand, Jesus at God's right hand, when God turns and looks at me, he sees me through the face of his son. So I don't have to try to be good. I don't have to try to earn his love. I'm already loved. I don't have to try to, oh, you know, and try to look all right and be all right because he sees me through his son. I love that. I'm like, oh, I'm okay right here then. Because it's like one of those mirrors. You ever get one of those magnifying mirrors and, you, you know, as you age a little bit, you, you don't want to see things that close. Where did that spot come from? What is that? So I like the place over here where God sees not all my speckled spots and scars. He sees me through the face of his son. That's love that raises that faith. That empowers me to pray from heaven to earth. Authority from heaven to earth. And then let me just say this. Please, everything, and we're wrapping up this series right here, the standard. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. If you're thinking anything, if anyone's speaking, I don't care who the person is. It could be the Pope for all I care. Speak something that tries to lower your standard of belief, of faith, or Christian living. Call it a lie. Don't think it. Don't believe it for a second. I've even heard people using, you know, whether the voice of God. They want to go around and tell people, you shouldn't be asking God for that. Why would you ask God for that? You know, that's probably like the wealth seminar, right? Oh, you shouldn't be asking God for money. Why would you ask God for money? Uh, he probably wants you to be in a, a poverty lifestyle so that you don't get all, you know, rich and, you know, hoity-toity and, you know, oh, you'll become selfish. and You know, it all sounds pretty good. Right? I'll even 
quote you scriptures that says you shouldn't be looking to ask God for money. But if it lowers your standard of believing for, faith for. And again, let me throw out a disclaimer. If you're always asking God for what's in his hand and not what's in his heart, he'll correct you. But he's daddy. He'll correct you. It's not my job to correct you. If I go around spanking all God's children, he's going to come after me. Because if somebody spanks one of my kids, I'm coming after them. I'll take care of correcting them. You, our job is to spur one another on to love and good works. Believe that. You believe for that. Well, I'm believing God for a boat. Sure, you want to become a boat evangelist? That's great. Witness to all the fish out there. You know, miraculous oh, catches of you, whatever. Believe, I don't care. And if you have to walk away and say, God, I just love that and answer their prayer. If that increases their faith and draws them close, answer it, Lord, right? Encourage one another. Build each other up. But don't be that voice that lowers that standard. Don't be that voice for the enemy that lowers the Christian standard or belief or faith in somebody else's life. Because think about it this way. Did God ever hold back anything from Jesus? Did he say, no, honey, you can't have that? Anything? No, he said he, it was his good pleasure to give him everything. Everything. And what are we? Co-heirs with Christ. Everything. Everything. Again. If you're seeking God for selfish reasons, we'll attack that next week. And he said in Matthew 7, 11, if you then, if you know how to give good gifts to your kids, why don't you think your Heavenly Father wants to give you good gifts? Oh, I can't ask him for this. I can't. Neil, is there anything you wouldn't ask Deborah for? If you want it, wouldn't you ask her for it? Anything. Because of the relationship. Because of the love. And he trusts her if she says, not today. Maybe later. No, you can't have the cake before you eat your dinner. He trusts her. All right. I went too long, but what I want to do now is I really want to open up the altar. Remember, some people have to get out at, in 15 minutes, class will start. So we've got 15 minutes before class starts. I want us every week to flood the altars. Why? Not so that I get an attaboy and a pat on the back, but so that you can have a time with God to say, seed was just sown. Seed was just sown. Was it a good seed? It was for me. Now apply it to my heart. Apply it to my life. Secure it in there. Ground it in there. Plant it in there. Push it down in there. Water it, Lord. Spend time so he can water that word. So that when you step out of those doors, those vultures, those birds, those cares of the world will try to snatch that word from you. So I try to, like a mother hen, like God even says, I'm like a, a mother hen that tries to gather you under my wing. Just spend time under his wing. But remember, his, his understanding, what he said under that is that you refused to. You, you wouldn't let me. 
Well, I got somewhere to go. I got, you know, roast in the oven. Don't allow those little things to matter more than what matters most. God is what matters most, period. So let that word be seeded, rooted, watered, spend time. Pray for each other, all right? Pray for each other. So would you please stand and let me just pray over you, pray a blessing over you. Crystal's already playing, and we're just going to uh, worship together, pray for each other. If you have a, a prayer request, if, you know, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior yet, if you haven't heard this in the preaching so far, let me just clarify here. Uh, becoming a Christian is not getting a ticket to go to heaven and get out of hell. That's not it at all. It's a byproduct of it, really. It's what it is. Your destination, your, your life lived here on earth as Jesus in a perfect relationship with God is what being a Christian is all about. That's relationship. So when I say if you haven't begun that relationship yet, if you haven't prayed the sinner's prayer, if you haven't prayed the prayer to, you know, get you out of hell and into heaven, you know, that's just the selfish, you know, I need, I want. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow him. That's a lifestyle living for Christ in God, but as Jesus here in this world. If you want to make that declaration today, grab anyone that's up at the altar that's wearing the, probably their nice lanyards and say that they're part of the prayer or not. So it's okay. We'll pray for each other. All right. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word is true. You are true. You are love. God, you are our father. Jesus, our brother. The perfect sacrifice. Not only the lion of Judah, but also the lamb that was slain. Before the foundations of the world was even set, you came to die for us in our place. Oh, God, we love you. We love you. We love you. But we can't even begin to love you until, like the word says, that you first loved us. God, open our eyes today. Open our hearts today. Open our minds today to fully understand that love for us, that perfect love you have for us. Oh, Holy Spirit, move through us, through us, through us. Mm. We cry out today in repentance and God, change the way we think, Lord. We've believed a lie for so long. Forgive us, oh God. Forgive us, oh God. We've tried to live like the world, think like the world, world act like the world, and, and thinking we're okay. Forgive us, oh God. be established within each and every one of us. Your 
standard of being secure in you, oh God, and our relationship with you. Picking up the whole word of God and in love walking out your word. Walking out your word as Jesus in this world. Have your way, Lord. Have your way. Let's just open up the altars, please.